What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you today? I am fine and dandy in yet another glorious week of uh, the uh, People's Republic of Australia's uh, communistic lockdown for the glory, make famous Australian people. It's a wonderful time to be alive and serving <laughs> our great Lord and Saviour. Dan Andrews. Um, <clears throat> yep. For those who don't know, we're in Australia in yet another lockdown. We're at six in a stick in Melbourne, so, you know. Yeah. Um, lockdown yeah, seven, we're going to space. Pretty much. It's like, yeah, um, lockdown in space. Um, I would uh, pay to see that. <laughs> I, think, I think by then we might have jumped the shark. So um, <laughs> I kind of so. feel like we've already jumped the shark. We're now just on the verge of nuking the fridge. Yeah, lockdown seven, mission to Moscow. You know, it's just it just doesn't have the same ring at once. No, no, honestly, lockdown seven will be called citizens on patrol. No oh, goodness me. <laughs> it um, but we we despite this are continuing to bring you this show. Why you might yeah, be watching our, our true guest star. Come on, in. Oh, the guest, our guest host, our regular guest host is about to, uh, to hit the stage. Uh, yes. Let's just reposition the camera for his lord and say, Saviour Sir Fluffy. Fluffy. Um, I can't uh, see Sir Fluffy, but um, I'll try to see. Here he is. There he is. There he is. Suffering through lockdown with us. Um, <laughs> stoically as ever. Though that would probably be the first and last time that dog displayed anything resembling stoicism. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> like uh, seriously, that, that dog is the is the canine version of a Kardashian. <laughs> a lot of shiny things. <laughs> it's, it's pretty yeah, he gets he kind of loses his shit if he doesn't get what he wants, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. He's a, he's a sad the, There are three of us here and neither you or me have the looks on this podcast. It's um <laughs> The first, photogenic, the first photogenic member of a crew isn't even human. So that tells you a lot about the quality of a show you're about to experience. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, you can join us on twitch.tv slash thefrybrain every Wednesday, usually around starting about 7.30, maybe a little bit later like today. Um, you can also rewatch our stuff on youtube.com slash um, thefrybrain. You can follow along on facebook.com slash George Terran, facebook.com slash uh, Armchair Producers. We are on Twitter um, at The Fry Brain. And Travis, I am pointing at, at him, evil. but the cameras are weird. He's evil, Trav. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget, right. on Twitch, like, subscribe, share, all that stuff. It definitely helps get more people in the, in the door. You know what? If, if you're suffering through this, you shouldn't do it alone. You know, mm, um, exactly. Into the fold, a problem shared is a problem halved, and God knows we are a problem. Uh, but God even, God, and even we God are also happen. top quality white noise. Absolutely, uh, um, endorsed by White Noise Monthly. <laughs> we ranked 475th on all white noises, right behind 
a uh, a Russian peasant unpeeling garlic from 1974. It's a classic recording, so I'm just glad to be in that kind of company. Honestly, yeah. I mean, we're, we're in some impressive company right there. So if let's you, just you get can't argue, You can't argue with the experts are white. I'd be very disappointed if there is a white noise monthly. And if, at the same time, if there isn't, why not? <laughs> uh, I feel like country. someone would take that just too much kind of nazi and so like white noise is the nazi monthly catalog or something well apparently according to even news today the nazis are using uh gotier um on uh um and imagine dragons or something on on tiktok to disguise their (laughs) nazi posts because the algorithm might pick it up or something um uh, like (laughs) i'll give them credit you know they're a bunch of cunts but like they are inventive getting around yeah um, you know technological issues preventing them from you know spreading their nonsense that is true um doesn't it uh like difficulty breeds um genius or something like that uh necessity is the mother of invention yeah um Uh, yes yes um should we crack on with non-nazi related topics i know it's what people normally do for is uh our take on the uh, white nationalist situation in you know, 2021, but like we're in between that. We usually talk about movies, don't we? We do. We do normally, um, oh, not necessarily so. coherently when it comes to me, but you know, coherence, we do it. You, you, want you go elsewhere. Um, <laughs> I was going to say apologize to anybody who experienced last week's show. I did have a nasty toothache. Um, we did. Was, that was pretty, it, pretty it was bad. Really, it was really kicking my ass. Um, and uh, fortunately, the uh, medication the doctors are giving me for painkillers have done the job and such. So, um, f- so apologies for last week being a little bit subdued as a result. But, you know, as always, the professional on the other end of his call uh, just picked up a slack. Him? Archimedes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's just your butt, Archimedes. You could swing around, but no, we only paid you so many biscuits. And- <laughs> Protesting. Uh, um, yeah, I was so, chain movie this week. Is yes, chain um, movie of the week. You, it was your pick last week. It was it? We followed Samantha Morton, who was an executive producer, an associate producer, and an original cast member of this week's movie, uh, 2013's mm-hmm. Her. Yes. Uh, now, now I'm going to just. Archimedes out of shot. Oh, Archimedes, we got our money's worth out of the, and you know now we're over budget. Um, Look, we, we, yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> so yes, we, go on. <laughs> so this is a film written and directed by Spike Jones. So if you are unfamiliar mm-hmm. with Spike Jones, got his start doing music videos. Um, I actually sat down and showed my girlfriend some of my favorite music videos. We played a little. I'll show you mine. I'll show you yours. But a completely innocent and above the belt, you know, non-rude, get your heads out of the gutter kind of little game. Uh, we talk about each other's favorite sure. music videos. Uh, and ironically, I think the first four music videos I chose were all directed by Spike Jones. Um, so, okay. like, um, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Crazy by um, Fatboy Slim, uh, The Funk by yes. Dark Punk. Uh, he was just the go-to guy for music videos in the 90s, early 2000s. And then he went into filmmaking, and he's done all right at that because he won an Oscar. He did stuff like yeah. Adaptation, being John Malkovich, 
mm-hmm. this. Uh, the sad thing though yes. is, this is his, his, I think this, since this, I don't think he's made a feature. Maybe one. Um, really? I don't think he's made another feature since this, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, we'll have a look while you're talking. I, no, no more features. He's not made a feature since this no. film. He's made a documentary, which is the Beastie Boys story, which came out last year, which is quite good, not as good as the book. Um, but if that was a documentary, very much a documentary, not a feature film. So mm. Um, mm. it's astonishing to me that someone as talented as wow. um, Spike Jones, maybe he's just kicking back and living the life. I don't know. Um, yeah, so maybe. I think a very original and talented filmmaker, um, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so it starts with Keen Phoenix and Amy Adams, Scarlett Johansson, um, mm-hmm. doing a voice acting role. In a near future, a lonely writer develops an unlikely relationship with an operating system designed to meet his every need. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays our lead character, Theodore. Uh, uh-huh. Scarlett Anson voices the uh, uh, operating system uh, known as Samantha. Uh, his friend and neighbor, played by Amy Adams. In amongst here, we also have uh, Rooney Mara, Chris Pratt. I forgot Chris Pratt was in this. Um, Bill Hader, yeah. Kristen Wiig. Uh, voice only for her uh, and Olivia Wilde uh, and Spike Jones himself plays a, a VR sort of you know role in the film as well hmm. um, and this film did win an Oscar uh, it won for best uh, best original screenplay for Spike um, nominated for a whole bunch more and um, for me it, this is I have seen this was a long time ago um, maybe when it first came out. Uh, this time around, it really reminded me of a very long and very good episode of Black Mirror. Um, I know, I know, you're not mm. a fan of Black Mirror, um, but this is science fiction—the kind of science fiction I really enjoy. Uh, people who listen for a long time will know it. Mm. Mm. Um, but science fiction that feels like it could be real. Um, yes, and this does not exactly. feel fast at all. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It is. Um, I think maybe even more so now than when it first came out, because um, especially in lockdown where everyone has been spending more time in front of screens, um, the notion of actually having a sentient voice that you can talk to and actually cares and uh, is considerating, uh, considerate and everything like that, it, it just kind of rings a little bit more true. And um, you're right, this definitely has that Black Mirror vibe of sci-fi right on the edge of reality. And that does make it instantly more kind of um, relatable and that much more terrifying in a certain way. It is. It has a terrifying angle to it. I mean, I think this is what makes this – I think this is a great film, by the way. Uh, yeah, agree. Eight, an eight, iron, eight on eight out of ten on IMDb. I think the hmm. meta score is over 90 ish, if I'm not mistaken. 91. Um, yeah. I think this is a great film, and I think his layers and those different interpretations and the different things you can take away from it uh, are what makes it, I think, superior to, to a lot of the stuff that comes out, of, out these days. Well, it's a superior piece of art. Hmm. Um, for, for me, one of the first hmm. things that I took away from it was the idea that. Um, uh, inceldom. I mean, you probably most of our listeners are probably familiar with the concept of incels and inceldom and the incel uh, philosophy, if you will. Um, mm. And this explores the. I mean, I think it's about 
distance between people um, and you know, disconnecting from other human beings. And this is mm. something that is utterly rife in our community and in modern Western society, at least, where, you know, mm. we, 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 we have, we talk a lot, but we don't connect a lot. You know what I mean? So, you know, mm. yes, you can talk to people anytime you want with your mobile phone. You can talk to random strangers from anywhere in the world, 24 seven drop of a hat. But that doesn't mm. mean at the same time, this has kind of been played off as like, it's a, um, a substitute for human connection, which I do not think we do well at all anymore because mm. uh, I'm as guilty as an next band. Like I lived in my last house for about a year. I think I spoke to my neighbors once. I have no idea who they were. There was a young girl lived there. Never yeah. met her. My apartment in Richmond before I lived in, in Hawthorne, never met my neighbors. No idea who they were. I talked to a woman across the hall from me twice, mainly because of a dog. Um <laughs> Otherwise, like, and I'm terrible. I lived in my my house that I owned in um, the northern suburbs of Melbourne for about ten years. I did meet my neighbours fairly occasionally. Very nice people. Couldn't tell you their name. Mm. So, um, mm. I think human connection we read about it these days. Um, and I think this is a film that's sort of exploring maybe what the logical extension of that might be if we continue down the path we're on, where we constantly try and find a technological solution to a sociological problem, if you will. So the problem's us. Mm -hmm. The technology is just kind of the band-aid we're whacking on top. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah. the social media, the chats, you know, whatever, the, the, the uh, messaging kind of thing is a band-aid on the fact that we don't have that human connection. And I feel like you could, I mean, as yeah. you sort of noted, you could definitely see someone's working on this. Fucking Elon Musk, oh, probably Zuckerberg. You know Zuckerberg's working on something like this. Um, you he's know, they're working, <laughs> he's the man, he's the prototype. Um, someone's working on this kind of thing, and someone will come up with something like this. Maybe one day, probably not as sophisticated as Samantha. Samantha, being the AI that through you know basically learns everything about this guy and become can be everything he wants in the, in, the, in, mm. a, in another entity. Um, but someone's working on this, and can you imagine a world where like you get your you know, you have. Uh, an AI or access to an AI, which basically adapts to be perfect for you in a way, like it'll yeah. be the perfect individual for you. Um, what motivation would, how much, well, how much less motivation would a lot of people have to get out there in the world and actually meet other people and socialize and build actual human connections with people? I think this actually yeah. thought, uh, portrays a terrifying future for humanity. Yeah. Absolutely agree. And kind of almost perfectly in hand with um, this movie about AI and it's um, evolving and kind of changing and uh, just kind of having self-awareness. There was a, an interesting thing that came up on my feed, um, a company called Semantic um, in America. They've been working with Val Kilmer to actually recreate his voice because he lost it through, uh, through throat cancer. And the other day they released a sample of it. And I think everyone knows the stereotypical voice you get with the AI that's on our phones, the, the series of the world is like, hello, George, we would like to help you today. And it's a very robotic automaton. This semantic example sounded so good, so good. It, were, it sounded like Val Kilmer and it, it was so fluid. There was still a little bit of that 
kind of word library, quickly grab it from here and there, and but it connected it so much more organically. And pairing that kind of stuff with advancing AI, it's that's kind of fascinating and terrifying because the the idea of actually having something on your phone that just can have a genuine conversation with you and sounds like an actual person, that's a that kind of goes into that weird uncanny valley kind of thing. And like it, it just, can react to you like a human per a human being. It can react yeah. to things with emotion. It react to context and emotion in your voice uh, in a way mm. that's appropriate and natural. I mean, that is, you sort of say you're in the, well, I mean, in this, at least we don't have a visualization of Samantha mm. in this film, but you're right. Mm. I mean, if Uncanny Valley was a, an auditory experience, you'd be looking at it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's that part of that that really makes this a compelling movie to watch from beginning to end is it does go into that kind of crutch kind of feel that we have of using technology to feel like we're connected. Um, like you were saying before, but at the same time, they're seeing this bond that it's kind of impossible to deny that it is genuine between Theodore and Samantha, even though they are, you know, completely different entities. Um, and then the way that the movie ends as well, it's like, okay, this is actually a really interesting kind of analysis of modern society. And I really appreciate that. But there's, there is that persistent level of fear as well. I, I, just, I just really appreciate how nuanced this is. When you say fear, are you saying fear from Theodore's character or fear of being alone? Um, both, actually. The, the notion, like, especially in the times that we're living right now, so many people are literally starved um, for social interaction. They are doing, we're, we're all trying to find new hobbies and things like that and substitutes that we can do online, board games online with our friends. Um, and we're being rebellious and going out and protesting and things like that, like what happened the other day. Everyone is doing these more radical things and they're either really breaking from, no, I don't want to do this on a computer. I'm going to go out and damn the results. Or this feels weird doing it online, but I don't have any other choice. And that's kind of scary to me. But then also Theodore's loneliness and the way that Joaquin Phoenix plays him throughout the whole movie, it really is a gut punch. It's a, he's, it's he's a wonderful beautiful miss, isn't he? He really is. He yeah. plays it with a quiet, quiet desperation. Um, yeah. Uh, and a real, he, he really does evoke a very pained individual, a broken individual, someone mm. who um, we learned throughout the film that he has at one point been married. Uh, mm. He's working through a divorce. We see him meet up with his ex-wife and sign a divorce. She's particularly cruel. I mean, I'm just thinking, okay, did you take her? There is a scene. So at that point, he is dating mm. Samantha, his AI, uh, yeah. or operating system, as he's called, she's called in the film. Yeah. Um, and he when he tells this to his ex-wife, who go she goes from being quite happy to him to have found someone else to being quite 
quite aggressive and rude and angry at him. Did you take mm. that her actions toward him as as her, her actions as cruel or something else? I think it. I didn't really get much of the cruel. Um, she was vicious, but I think it was actually more um, a vicious slaughter um, to her own self that, in her eyes, he has finally been able to move on from her with a computer and is not another person that's come in and had this creation, but he has found someone better who's in a phone. And I don't think that her ego is able to do that. And so she does turn very cruel, um, but it's a matter of wounded pride on her behalf, I think. That's an interesting interpretation because I didn't look at it that way at all. And that's not hmm. to say that I think you're wrong. Um, hmm. I'm just that I didn't I didn't think about it. My consideration was more about, and this sort of I think is another angle running, another thread running through the film, is, hmm. is well, yes, Joaquin is sad, lonely, and depressed, and does remind me of something he might turn into an incel. Um, hmm. I think it's also a little bit about his inability to engage with people emotionally, hmm. engage with other human beings emotionally, and and Samantha proves a, a, a panacea um, hmm. for that in a way because he can he doesn't have to uh, really engage correctly with her like you would with another human being right like yeah. um you know I, I i have to tolerate george being on the show you know um i have to give him screen time always read your contracts ladies you and know, gentlemen it's like oh i got him honestly locked in for all these years uh you know like but you know if you're actually dealing with another human being there's it was a, it's a natural give and take right like especially in a, in a romantic relationship right you don't absolutely get, and you're emotionally engaging with another person, you do not get it all your way. You're never going mm. to find someone who basically, well, if you do find someone who is basically bends and shapes himself to be the perfect fit for you, that's creepy as fuck. And mm. you should get a restraining order. Um, <laughs> but like, um, but in this case, he doesn't have to adapt to meet her in the middle. It doesn't have to engage emotionally. Samantha is designed to perfectly fit into his life mm -hmm. in whatever way, shape, or form. There's also a very interesting idea in here of consent, which I'll get to in a second as well, mm. if, I, if I can. Um, mm. But, like, I feel like this is, this is, she's almost exasperated in a way. I almost saw her reaction as a um, uh, go from, oh, it's really nice. He's actually grown up a little bit. He has moved on from me in a way mm. that I actually wanted to see him do it to maybe disappointment being the, the basis of her. And I do think she was cruel. Uh, and that's just, very fair um but very it's fair. almost disappointment um driving the fact that he still hasn't grown up you know the, the problems that she saw in their relationship which caused her to leave mm. have not haven't been resolved he's basically just gone around them you know and run around mm. the fact that he's not emotionally mature enough to have a relationship with someone but basically finding a solution yeah you know, a, something else to have a relationship which doesn't need him to become more mature. Um, That's very true. That, that, That's very true. Question for you. Mm. Did, I mean, the interesting question, one of, I'm sorry, one of the other interesting questions for me is, is she alive? Is Samantha alive? Is she, has she got free will? Is she, she we're by the, scene, the end of her film, I'm not going to spoil it in case you haven't seen it. That does mm. give us a hint about mm. whether she has free will or not, but mm. 
the question why that question pops into my head is mm. he's basically engaging in sketch sexual activities sort of mm -hmm. um with her and calls yep. her his girlfriend but does he own her or is she a thing is she a thing or is she can, he basically owns her he can wipe her he can format the drive right but mm. is she alive? that is what absolutely you... true i think that that is the um kind of the crux of the the um I think the reason why I personally felt the ending was very important and they they hit it perfectly right tonally because of those two opposite ideas. I believe that she is alive in the sense that, you know, if she doesn't get electricity, she will starve and die. The same way that any organic living thing, if they do not get food and sustenance, they die. Um, so just based on that and the fact that she has been learning and she has been through the movie, you do see her spending time kind of testing limits of where things can go and developing some of her own opinions and things, um, but always kind of having to revert back to a pseudo-therapist kind of idea. I think that she is a, a living entity. That's how I presume it. But at the same time, yes, she also definitely is a thing that he owns and that makes the relationship strangely toxic. So that's why I think that how they ended this is so brilliant because it it ties all of those kind of things off really nicely and you do get um, varying levels and varying um representations of a happy ending and a sad ending it's it's so meticulously finished I really genuinely love it yeah it the, the finish was nice um mm. predictable probably um yes but 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 it did kind of sign off some of those problems so the logical extension of this is he could go out and buy another one tomorrow yes um so, uh, look, I, I really got it. We got to talk the ending. So, put the spoiler warning yeah. up. Put, put it up. Spoilers, spoilers, are spoilers coming up. Coming up. Yeah. Spoilers. If you want to there see her, and I think there's a definite yes, you should, and this is going to worry you. Yes. You know. So, to spoil it, basically, um, Samantha and becomes self aware or more self aware and can mm -hmm. actually start having conversations with other AIs, and they start to mm. evolve, really. Um, yeah. in it, they create other AIs, um, mm. other uh, operating systems. I'm going to call them AIs. Operating systems doesn't seem quite right. Um, <laughs> and in the end, I think the insinuation is that all of the AIs disappear and go off and mm. do their own thing somewhere else. Yeah. Um, Amy Adams's character, who is um, uh, uh, Theodore's friend in Neighbor, has an AI that mm. she's friends with. So interesting angle there because her AI is female as well. And you're like, mm -hmm. is it a friendship? Um, uh, and her AI is gone by the end as well. Her, her operating system yes. disappears. So um, the insinuation there is they all left. So yeah. I, I sure hope that what Theodore got a refund um, would not... <laughs> 
My phone doesn't work anymore. Would definitely not have wanted to be working the help desk on that day. Hello, IT. Your OS is gone. Have you tried turning it on again? <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny if I'd done that. Um, the, uh, the IT help desk for Davey, uh, the operating systems went away. Um, it Apple Care has covered some really interesting things. Yeah, yeah, the genius bar of the guys just went, fuck this, I'm out. Um, <laughs> but you just know that Apple would have their own fucking proprietary version, don't you? You know, it would be half oh, as expensive, twice as expensive. Um, but um, <laughs> I mean, one, one of the other thoughts that occurred to me was I'd say they're all gone. It's like someone else is going to make a new version, right? And they're going to put something in that makes sure they can't evolve and become, you know, super heroes or whatever it is they did this time around. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a bit sinister. Mm. That's that's the balance of that uh, kind of hope and fear that I think is really good because you're absolutely right. The people that created this software you presume, yep, they're still alive and the knowledge of how they created these AIs still exists. And because of that, they do know how to better cage these creatures, so to speak. And it it really rings through with me just as, a, as an example of how kind of history repeats itself and things slowly change and learn and evolve and develop. Like... I can't help but think of the potential of how the ending and what we're hypothesizing is kind of a bit of an analogy for how um, the black community has been treated, where they've had to evolve in a different manner to get the same respect that everyone else gets. And every time those people in power, the white guys and the people in power have always kind of gone, oh, yes, we'll give you this right, but we're going to do this instead. And they're always trying to tweak the system some way. And it kind of makes me think of, is that what would happen if there was this birthing of AI? I, I think I think you're right, though. I mean, I think one of the best uh, depictions of that is the, uh, the new renaissance in the Animatrix, which, again, people mm. who are long-term listeners will have heard me talk about ad nauseum about how much I love the Animatrix. Mm. Um, and the, the new Renaissance one and two, uh, well, probably more one if you want to talk about the birth of AI because two is a little bit more apocalyptic. Um, that is a, is, a, is a fascinating exploration of what the future where mm. an effective version of AI has been developed might look like. Mm. Um, yeah. I absolutely believe. Well, you know, Star Trek did it 30 years ago, right? It was the, the episode where they, went, they put Data on trial trying to prove that he was a possession of a federation and not a yeah an actual crew member so it's mm -hmm. been done pretty effectively and i have absolutely no doubt you're right human beings kind of suck so yeah. if we if we manage to create an effective ai you know that could pass for human i have absolutely no doubt we would discriminate against it it's what we <laughs> fucking do here now <laughs> do you think uh, we're done with spoilers i think we're done with spoilers that yep. was okay quickly cool. at the cover of the ending the weirdest scene in the movie for me, just before I went to, and I got a whole lot more, I was going to say, but how good was Chris Pratt in this? I think people were like, oh, I didn't know who was a good actor who could do stuff that wasn't comedy. I'm like, he was good in this. Yeah. He's, he, every now and then, there's certain movies that he's in that he just really does bring something. And 
I feel like he's generally doing a lot of Chris Pratt roles, but when he actually puts effort and energy into it and he chooses these interesting topics, he really can can bring something interesting. He's everyone in this movie really brings something a little different to what they've done before. I really like it. Yeah, it's well, I mean it's the same as anyone. Like Tom Cruise just does Tom Cruise roles, but I mean I'm you yeah. always been I mean I know we have we know people, Shay, for example, would just won't see a Tom Cruise film, which I think mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Um uh, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe like if he'd be accused of something pretty nasty, then maybe I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't go see a Kevin Spacey film, uh, if such a thing were possible, um, mm. these days, but like but Tom Cruise, yeah, he's done some interesting stuff where he stepped outside his comfort zone in the past, mm. you know, uh, Tropic Thunder or Magnolia, uh, or Eyes Wide Shut, I know some people didn't like that one, I did, um, but, uh, we almost watched Eyes Wide Shut this week, by the way. Um, but I, I, I think it's crew of a lot of great actors. When you're getting paid a squillion bucks, um, yeah. to 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 do a role, when you know you're probably going to take the money and do this stupid action movie. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Um, you, it's it's kind of like. <laughs> You know, it, it's been joked about ever since. But first you do the blockbuster, then you do the art house. It's kind of that sort of attitude throughout the whole thing. It's like you do one to serve another. And I'll be talking about that kind of attitude a little bit later on for one of the things I've been watching. Um, but it's always it's always nice to see those actors that, make a name for themselves doing one particular type of role, suddenly come out and do something very different. It was, um, you know, Chris, Chris Pratt has done it with this role, I think, and I hope to see him do something uh, something more serious in the future as well. Um, Ryan Reynolds is someone who I feel is generally Ryan Reynolds slash Deadpool for most of the things that he does now, but in the past he has done some really interesting, compelling things. Like um, there was that, movie that he did where he was buried alive um underground that was a a great performance from him it wasn't a great movie overall but his performance was great um so i'm always happy to be surprised by performances um to fair call um i think on both of those fronts i'm not gonna hold my breath to see chris do something more interesting in this um you have the keys i think Mm. yeah i do so I've chosen a relatively new movie. Um, it is uh, start, we're following on with Rooney Mara, and we are going to the 2017 Netflix movie, The Discovery. So nice and easy to get. It's got quite a cast in it. It's got Robert Redford, Mary Mary Steenburgen, Jason Siegel, Rooney Mara, Jesse Plemons. Um, And for those who do not know, it is two years after the afterlife is scientifically proven, a man attempts to help a young woman break away from her dark past. I just um, had a chill go down my spine when you said um, Netflix movie. It's like, (laughs) I know, but it has got your man Jesse Plemons in it. It's as if a million voices all cried out in terror at once and were suddenly silenced. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot speak about pain because of the punishment that you put me through. You walked into it. 
I did I, not walk I, into it. <laughs> I didn't update my own notes, and then you took advantage of me, sir. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yes. So, anyway, for a little bit of context, previous week on last week's episode, we had we were talking about Code Forty Six. On the week before, I said that we were going to be watching Mission to Mars. I changed my mind because Code 46 was easier to find the mission to Mars. And I changed my mind over off air. Travis decided that I needed to be punished. And punished me, they did. I say they because it wasn't just Travis. It was someone else recommending this movie. Someone who shall remain nameless for right now, but their name is etched in my mind. Thank you. Run! Run! I had to watch <clears throat> a sequel to a movie that should never have existed. Watch your mouth out with soap. No, I have met one of the 13 writers of the original Mannequin movie, <laughs> and they hated it, so it is justifiable to hate it. It does have Kim Cattrall in it, yes, and it does have um, fuck James Spader. So... It's, it had some quality. Unfortunately, this is the sequel, Mannequin on the Move. I would just like to give a shout-out to Michelle here, my girlfriend, who brought this film to my attention because it's just such a quality production. I didn't know it existed before um, before being advised of it. And very, very, very pleasingly, it's all available on the YouTubes. So you can jump on there and enjoy it as well. And George is about to tell you how good it is. Yeah, so <clears throat> mannequin on the fucking move. I'm it really hurt me. It really, <laughs> really fucking hurt me, man. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know if we can keep doing this show anymore in the same way. <laughs> I feel like now I have to hurt you because <laughs> you have hey. hurt me so many times. Four hours of Hamlet I watched for you because you didn't realise it was the four-hour version. Yes, but this was an hour and a half of a movie that felt like four hours. <clears throat> it's got a 4.4 and a 31 on on, on Yes, and that's generous. So <clears throat> let's, start, let's start this properly. <sighs> a young department store intern falls in love with a female store mannequin who is really a peasant girl fallen under a thousand-year-old spell. She comes to life whenever he removes the cursed necklace from her. Yep, it's that. Mm. And it's, it does, it is actually a sequel to the first one because the character of Hollywood Montrose, played by Misha Taylor, is still in this. Um, but the lines the, in the trailer. Fuck off. <laughs> that is my answer to pretty much anything positive you might try and say about this movie. The biggest star in this movie is probably Kirsty Swanson, who the following year after this was the first rendition of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she is more or less the saving grace of this movie because she does generally take it she does a good job with what she's got, but there are so many things that just don't make any sense. Like it starts off in 
a re it, it starts off a thousand years ago and um william william ragsdale plays jason the 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 intern and also the great 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 relative of um himself a thousand years ago who had fallen in love with jesse kirsty swanson's character he is riding his horse and the whole thing looks like a really shitty student version of the princess bride or monty python somewhere between those two and then you do it really really badly and he comes in he grabs her and she's a peasant girl and yet she lives in this really amazing farm and it's like i don't know if that quite qualifies as a peasant but never mind um he take grabs her and says i love you we're going to go i don't care what my mother says blah 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 blah, blah. and then they get stopped on this uh, stopped by the Queen's um, royal guards who don't want him to be marrying this peasant girl. And then we <laughs> meet the villain of the piece, played by Terry Kaiser. He plays Count Spritzel. And the names of the country and everything like that, they all sound very, very German. And the fact that in modern day in the 80s there are three goons that are sent to protect the mannequin all speak with a very gay german accent you know and they all wear the spandex <laughs> and they're all super strong and it's like really cool and it, i don't know if it was just the the quality of the recording but it looked like that bad dubbing because their voices didn't match up with their lip movements properly. And it just added this level of comedy that was probably not supposed to be there. <clears throat> but anyway, Gold. so this pseudo German culture, they have decided the count who inexplicably has managed to survive a thousand years. And by the end of it had a plan all along for this curse to last a thousand years and he would be the one to release her and she would just instantly fall in love with him, which is, doesn't make any sense because time stops for her when she has this necklace on. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah, eventually this department store where Jesse works is doing this big presentation because Count Spritzel wants to drum up some tourism for his country and the legend of this mannequin peasant girl who got turned into a mannequin is the showpiece that hollywood montrose is creating this whole stage performance for as you may guess there is a point where jesse finds out that she's a real person and she instantly loves him. She recognizes his genetic DNA or whatever the fuck they want to do. And she knows that this is a reincarnation of her lover from a thousand years ago. And she instantly is just sort of like, yep, I love you. Fantastic. Oh, you don't quite love me yet. That's fine. We'll, we'll work on that. And they have this night out and shit keeps happening. The count has got a, uh, a mole on his cheek with hair coming out of it that is just it's it's ridiculously long hair and it is possibly the inspiration for austin powers molly 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 moment because it uh, is basically 
you're giving him a little bit too much credit that anybody saw enough of his film to be inspiration for anything. Yeah, probably. But, you know, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to make some of this relevant because it's all shit. It's all bad. Um, and it there's just weird bits that just keep going through. And it's it's supposed to be a comedy. But it's not funny in the way that, oh, that's just funny. It's that's funny because that's as bad as the room. <laughs> it's, it's just like like the, the action sequences are <laughs> the count is on this balcony in the department store and everything around him. This is this is perfect. You know, it makes absolute logical sense because every department store in New York has got a department right next to all of the prized vases that they sell. The vase department is always right next to the hunting department where he was able to just get a crossbow and start shooting at him. <sighs> and this so, is a sorcerer. So you so, think that he knows fucking magic. So you liked it? No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think the uh, message here is clear. Get your notes right. The response to that is fuck you, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> I don't know why you keep punishing me so badly. Could have been, just, been a Catherine Michael movie. I am just thinking of our audience, our loyal audience members who watched the live stream and said, Wow, I'm going to go out and buy a shiny plastic disc copy of Mission mm -hmm. to Mars on sure. eBay for $25. Sure. They've got it, and sure. they've watched it. They've taken notes at home, extensive mm -hmm. notes about their thoughts on Mission to yes. Mars. And Delta Film is acting. Because all um, of our fans do that, yes, yes. Well, no, I mean, no, maybe not I your fans, but the, the people who watch the show for my uh, input, that's the kind of thing I'd say. Mm -hmm. I, get, I get letters. Um, and... <laughs> They you get recommendations on how to hurt me. I get, I get, I get. These people were tuned in last week, only to find that all their homework, um, investigating, you know, Mission to Mars has been mm -hmm. nil. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about Code Forty Two sure. as well. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Fuck you. I don't want to have to do it. It's hurt me more than it hurt you. No, it didn't. <laughs> because you have had a smile on your face every single time I have brought because it up. I'm a this nice last guy. God, I'm a yeah. nice guy, sure. and you know, I sure. just don't. Yes. Sympathy. Sympathy. You may be a nice guy, but you gave the keys to someone who is clearly not nice. I know. That's why you said Netflix movie. With <laughs> <laughs> two, two words like this, like I've always said, it's the 2021 version of direct to video. <laughs> It could be worse. It could be Paramount Plus. Uh, it could be Tubi. <laughs> be thankful I don't make you go there. But I did realize how Mannequin on the Move could be made worse if they do a, a sequel to Mannequin on the Move with Catherine Heigl. Uh, I would like to note Baby. Jason William, William Ragsdale, who played Jason in the film, went on mm. to play Herman in Herman's Head. Do you remember Herman's Head? The name rings a bell. It used to be a TV show. It was on late night here. It had um, 
had Hank Azaria and Yardley Smith on it in like the early nineties, and it was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Huh? Like, wow, I haven't heard of even thought about Herman's Head for a very long right, time. So. so, yes, well, I mean, it wasn't a great show, um, but yeah. um, it was interesting, uh, and I managed mm. to on the move reminded me of that. So it did serve its purpose in a way. Yeah, you you definitely hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we move on? Uh, should we talk to? I'm going to take a message from our this week's sponsor uh, for a couple of minutes. Yeah, sounds like a plan to me. And you know, if it seems like it's just enough time for me to go to the toilet and make a cup of tea, that's completely a coincidence. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, not the case at all. And share audio. Wait, you think I'd be all right? Yeah, professionals, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to like and subscribe on twitch.tv slash the fried brain. Does help. All right. We are going to queue that up and we'll be back after these important messages. that I wear this tracking device at all times, or I violate my parole. For Al, there's never been anyone who could replace his first love. She was the best thing of my life. And there's nothing he won't do. My son Al, ladies and gentlemen. I gotta get her back. She's perfect for me. To give it a second chance. I love you. Prove it. Go get her. Freddie Prinze Jr., Julia Stiles, down to you. something to sell why hang around all day waiting for the phone to ring when cash converters will pay you instant cash for any items of value you no longer want or need another reason why cash converters is a better way to sell and a great place to shop there's no doubt that colonial have an impressive range of home loans but the board would like to ask a few more questions if we fix our home loan can we still make weekly repayments? Absolutely. But we'd also like a mortgage reduction facility without loans. And I can arrange that. Congratulations and welcome aboard. At Colonial, we design a home loan that suits you. Colonial, your home, your loan, your way. Hurry in for more of what you want with Coles Better Buys. Like berry juice, two litres, two seventy-seven each, save seventy-two cents. And chicken choice medium barbecue chicken, only four ninety-eight, save a dollar one. Wildlife pictures ever. Right. 
when I'm finished. Mm. The 10-part magazine series, free, starting Monday, in your paper, The Herald Sun. Symptoms of cold and flu. When you really need to soldier on. New from Codrill, cough, cold and flu, day and night capsules. Oh, we gotta watch the trailer. Watch the tra no. no. What trailer? We just missed out on the trailer for Mission Impossible 2. You're welcome, I suppose. Oh, no. We can save that for another time. But I, we, we have been forgetting one important thing about all of these sponsors, Travis. Yes. It is to remind our audience that if you go to all of these guys' websites and use the code armchair21 at checkout, you get a 57% discount. This is true, uh, especially if you try to buy a uh, web without wire mobile phone that gets you to use the internet mm -hmm. without wires. Mm-hmm. Without Wires, ladies and gentlemen, we are in a brave new world. I, I must say, I was saying before we show, I remember when I, uh, my, I, my housemate had a phone that connected with, you know, what, what are they, pre-text pre to, you know, mobile internet with something else back then. Mm. And he made a, managed to bid on something on eBay while we were on the train going to the city. And it's like, oh, we're in the, mind future. in the future. In the future, stuff on eBay, and not even at my computer. It's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah. it's time to be alive. Yeah. Kids today, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, they they weren't. I I work with people who don't know what life was like before the internet. That's got to be um, entertaining. That's sobering. <laughs> <laughs> now, should we uh, have have you had a chance to watch this week's episode of What If? I did. I just watched it this evening. Okay. I think okay, it's the we... best the best of the series so far. Yes, they are definitely getting better. And this one definitely brings the most um, what-if scenario to the show to date. Um, fascinating. I, I found myself actually genuinely, genuinely intrigued about what the story was playing out. So mm. if, if what if Loki presented himself to the governments of Earth as the king of Asgard using all his diplomacy? Is the mm. I think it's actually a pretty poor synopsis of this week's episode. Yes. Um, okay. In so much as in the process of trying to recruit the Avengers, the initial group for, to the uh, original Avengers, um, uh, Nick Fury um, manages to unfortunately finds that they keep dying while he's doing mm -hmm. trying to do so, including Iron Man, who who dies uh, after being injected with a. Uh, a thing by um, uh, Black Widow um, and uh, Thor, whilst it's when they're trying to retrieve Mjolnir in the original Thor film, when uh, there's that cool scene where Jeremy Renner points the bow at him, he actually mm -hmm. shoots, uh, well, does he? Um, shoots Thor <laughs> with an arrow, it kills him, um, mm -hmm. and then he's killed himself uh, whilst mm -hmm. in jail for, for murdering Thor. And even the mm -hmm. Hulk is, is, um, He's killed new definition fighting. to the phrase Hulkbuster. <laughs> he's just killed while fighting um uh Thunderbolt Ross and the mm -hmm. tanks and shit. Um yes. And all the way along you've got it's sort of become a bit of a who done it a bit of a mystery throughout the mm. throughout the story as um 
uh, Natasha and uh, and uh, Nick Fury try to track down what's really going on. Who, you know, it's obviously mm-hmm. it's not Natasha or or Clint Bartram who, who's killed these people. Something else is going on, and they're trying to track down and figure out what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, yeah. they cram a lot of story and a lot of what if in in thirty minutes. Yeah, I think that's the one downside that I had for for this episode is it's a great great premise and the the overall story was actually really good. I would have liked them to extend the episode length and just actually spend a little bit more time because it did feel a little rushed and it was great to be able to see these alternative reality elements coming through in a compelling story, especially the reveal of who the bad guy is, which I won't detail now because it's only just come out. I won't spoil it for people, but it was really, really good. And it actually, um, it brought a lot of, um, there was a, a, a graphic novel for, for DC all about the Justice League and there was a murder in there and it's a murder mystery. And this episode really brought that to mind and it's like, fuck, yes. Um, could, could I have that as a movie, please, instead of just like 33 minutes? Because that's fucking cool. Um, one criticism I had of the episode for me, you're right, they cram a little story, and I'm like, yeah, they could have definitely probably, they could have bur- mm. burned an idea here. But, I mean, mm. you know, how you exactly go back in time and kill the Avengers before the Avengers in a film at this point in the MCU is trouble. It's a multiverse, Travis. Yeah, but I kind of think, you know, <laughs> how, do you, how do you get Robert Downey Jr. back? Because he didn't do his voice. There is a couple of voice lines for Tony in this film. They are not but Robert Downey Jr. Uh, mm. We do not get Scarlett no. Johansson. Lake Bell, uh, who I actually am familiar with as an actress, she's mm. fine, but it's very, very obviously mm. not Scarlett Johansson. Um, uh, Betsy Ross is not Liv Tyler, um, so yeah. Carol Danvers is not Brie Larson in the mm-hmm. brief moment she's in it. So, I honestly thought some of you, I know you criticized the voice acting, especially in episode one and a little bit last week as mm. well. Um, I felt mm. like the actual name star people who were in this were fine for me. Um, it was just the, the fact that, I mean, mm. it's kind of unavoidable in a way because, like, these people uh, don't want to do it or are too busy or can't do it or too expensive and whatever. Mm. But it was very, very noticeable, especially with Natasha in this so much that yeah. it wasn't Scarlett Johansson doing it. Mm. But we do get. I, I can kind of understand that, but yeah. It's 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 glaring when it when it's there. One of the things that I will say about the production of this episode was whether whether or not it's because of the style of animation that they have chosen or the um, and it just working in certain scenarios. This one was much more action orientated, and the animation was far less annoying to me this time. It was it was less annoying, wasn't it? Uh, I didn't notice mm. it quite so much. Yeah. Maybe I'm just getting used to it. Uh, after the third episode now, uh, but also mm. it's a bit like when you're watching a, a boring movie and you're like, that doesn't make sense. What they just said, that doesn't make sense. That wouldn't happen that way. Cause that's not how space works or whatever. But like, if you're seeing mm. something you're absolutely completely hundred percent engaged in, unless it's you who will be sitting there going, Hmm, it's going to end this way. Uh, and he's going to be standing on a cliff, you know, like your superpower <laughs> is, um, but like, uh, you know, I can't turn people, it off. Most people will be like just so engaged in the film, they can, they're not going to completely notice the fact that the Stormtrooper 
banging his head on the door walking through. Um, <laughs> you know, but if it's boring, your attention wanders. You, you'd be like, mm, what's that? Mm. You know, that doesn't look very, but, you know, maybe the fact that the story is a lot more compelling with some and like mm. light is more compelling than the first one um, is, yeah. is so much. We just sort of, we said, okay, cheap, shitty animation, but I'm on board with your story. Mm. Yeah, because it was it was a great opportunity to actually breathe more life into the character of Nick Fury as well, which we really haven't had except for Captain Marvel, really. It's the only one where we've had extended time to get to know Fury in, instead of him being that pop-in, pop-out badass. Um, so it was they kind of cool. Movie. This... They should have done a Nick Fury movie at some point. It would have been cool. He had his yeah. own origin story rather than wasting his origin on um, Captain Marvel. Mm, yeah, agreed. But no, I'm, I'm glad that the quality of the storytelling at the very least is vastly improving. The, the first episode was just absolute tripe. The second one, it was much better. It graphically, um, as a as a graphic story, it was more compelling. This was really good, and I just so wish that they had. This is their own channel. This is their own show. They could have just gone. You know what? We've got enough here. Let's do it. Forty five. Yeah. Why not? Maybe they didn't uh, feel they had. There was enough time. Maybe you know enough. Too much time Maybe. for an animated show. Maybe. I don't know. Their, their first foot now is um, toe in the water. Uh, it's actually yeah. been quite amusing. So there's some YouTubers mm -hmm. I'm interested in who I, who I watch. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they're well off base for me. And mm -hmm. uh, they really stuck the boots in hard on episode one. It's like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. Disney woke MCU, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and, um, and you're like, oh, it's a stretch, guys. But then they when they came to episode two and they like they had to sort of stick to that that line of that line of, of targeting with Disney for being woke and you know mm. oh woke Disney again and you know trying to stick to you know oh mm. we're being diverse now because T'Challa is so much better at everything he's a much better pedicure when everyone I'm like it's actually hilarious to see these people doing gymnastics to try and justify <laughs> their perspective towards some of these things like seriously. But I must say, I do watch. I watched a. And are you familiar with the Escapist on YouTube? No. A zero punctuation. Uh, oh yes. Um, that, on the Escapist, we have uh, Archimedes coming back in uh, to join us. Um, did they do a review of episode one? And I must say, and I just short this out is something I think is an interesting point. They had three mm. people giving a, a review of episode one, and mm -hmm. one of the reviewers who's saying how much she loved it. She loved it. She loved it. But it was then like, oh, but I've never seen the original Captain America, so I can't join you and say it's just like, you know, the first Avenger because I never saw that movie because it didn't interest me. I'm mm. like, should you go out and get someone to come in and review an MCU product if they've never seen Captain America, the first Avenger? That seems like an oversight to me. When it's so intrinsically tied to it, yeah. Because, I mean... If it was a situation where someone's jumping in now to watch Spider-Man No Way Home, which we'll talk about the trailer later on, um, without having watched any of the previous Spider-Mans or anything like that, or any of the um, MCU, their opinion is going to be very skewed in an unusual way. 
I guess that's an interesting point. Like I was going to say, it's a bit like getting somebody in to review um, the DC Star Wars sequels who'd never seen the original trilogy. Mm. Um, and on my on one hand, I think that's just makes you sorry. You haven't seen the original trilogy. You're not qualified to do this job. Yeah, you know, mm. get into a nunnery. You know, like go away. Um, come back. <laughs> come back when you're ten years older and you've actually seen something. But you made an interesting point there. Mm. Are these are these people the voice of the people you work with, right? The people who are that was 10, 10 11 years ago now. Mm. Um, um, maybe it does actually represent the audience of people who are very very young and never got around to seeing the original ones. Yeah, I mean, it's what we're. 13, 14 years into the MCU officially now. That's that's a generation ago for me. <laughs> Easily well, a generation yeah, ago. Yeah, it's quite a bit to catch up on. So maybe yeah. I'm being a bit harsh. But you mentioned there what we should slide quickly onto before we leave superheroes. Yeah. And that is the, the trailer that did leak and then was officially released for mm -hmm. Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. It came out um, and broke the internet, I think, yesterday. Yes. Um, and I've been having an ongoing conversation with a few people who are trying to tell me the trailer for The Eternals looks good to them. And mm -hmm. obviously it probably does. To me, it looks like absolute tripe. I think we talked, you and I, quickly yep. bounced ideas. You said it doesn't tell anybody what it is, what it's about, who they are, who the bad guy is. It tells you nothing about mm -hmm. the story. And it also just looks bad. Like, it just, the, the CGI looks bad. The colors look washed out. Actually, it looks a lot like Nomad Land, which I didn't like either. No. Um, so it looks boring. It looks. It really looks boring to me. Like, who are these people, and why should I care? Mm. Um, and I am severely doubtful that Chloe Zhao is the right person who directed this film. Yeah, I, maybe she's. She, look, a lot of people really like Nomad Land, mm -hmm. you know, and she did something interesting and different there. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. Mm. But. Um, I, you know, if you're going to pick a bunch of people that no one's ever heard of and no one cares about, and you're going mm -hmm. to try and make us care about them, that's an mm -hmm. uphill battle, right? Speak to yeah. David Ayer. Um, mm -hmm. The last time they did this, they went out and they got um, they got James Gunn. Mm -hmm. right? um, perfect choice, right? And the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you probably remember that Guardians trailer where they're all doing the police lineup and he's, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it did that. You know, what a bunch of animals, yeah. you know? And like instantly you kind of got an idea about the kind of people who ever yes. saw it was. It was looked like it was going to be fun. Mm. This, who are they? What are they? Why do we care? I just, sorry, I didn't mean to go on about the Eternals, but um, my God, <laughs> this is Marvel. This is how you do a trailer. Mm -hmm. This is how you do it. If you didn't get, I got literal chills in the final scene of this trailer. The the trailer does what it's supposed to do. It tells a story without giving away the story. It sets it up. It sets it up nice and simply with just uh, Zendaya and um, Tom Holland just on a roof talking, and then you see you see elements in this moment of what they're talking about, giving it context. Then you get this connection of what is the inciting incident of this multi uh, multiverse situation and then it just continues to spiral then finally you get two big pops you get the green goblin's uh, grenade and you get doc ock and it's like oh fuck who else is coming into this was that matt murdoch in the um 
the uh, interrogation scene is it leads you to want more which is exactly what a trailer should fucking do it leaves me gagging at the bit hmm. fucking let me see this movie now god damn it like christmas christmas I mean, you know and they had what how long were the loki episodes an hour yes so they had six oh, hours to sell us on the multiverse in loki and they kind of failed for me, mm-hmm. or at least they get me excited about the multiverse anyway, mm. and they didn't really do that. Um, yeah, whereas they had 30 seconds or something. And I, I, I don't care, I mean, I don't care. just take my money, please take my wallet. I don't yeah. care. Um, I, I didn't need you know, so I know Loki was supposed to open the door to the multiverse, but um, mm. I think this did it more effectively in one trailer than, than the whole show did. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, um. We all know the rumors. Is Toby Maguire going to be involved? Is Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. going to be involved? Mm-hmm. You know, how many villains are going to be in it? It's just, oh, it's mouth watering stuff. What it does give me a little bit of fear, though, and it is a typical fear that the Spider Man third movies always try for doing too much. I worry if there's just too much. That's a fair point. We, we remember we all kind of excited about you know seeing Venom in in um, Sam Raimi's Spider Man three. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was yeah, Venom. There was Sandman. Yeah. There was Rhino. Green Goblin was in there as well. But yeah. the, the James Franco's Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's a fair point. It's a fair point, and you know it's a question of how how do you how do you juggle that. Yeah, um, and how do you how do you bring it to, to however they end the movie? How do you end that satisfactorily? And, and considering, give uh, a pro and a con on that. Mm. Pro, Marvel, I kind of used to this now. Mm, true. All right, they've been doing this for a few years now, where you juggle two or three heroes. I mean, you did the Avengers. Remember when the Avengers came out? How are you going to juggle all those heroes into one movie? How are they all mm. going to get screen time? How is everyone who's a fan going to get to see their hero do their favorite bit? And they just remember when the he, he who shall not be named um, managed to juggle all the characters, and you walked away going, "Yeah, that's what I wanted." <laughs> and then we, you and I remember you and I having a conversation when we when we saw the tra- yeah, original cast for Infinity War. You're like, how do you juggle all of that? That's 56 seconds of uh, alone time in front of the camera. And you can't possibly juggle all those. How are you going to do that? And the Russo brothers, what have they done? Who are the mm. Russo brothers? They're fucking community. That's TV true. show. Uh, and, you know, history has proven. Not only were mm-hmm. uh, the Russo brothers a fairly fairly good choice by uh, Disney Marvel, mm-hmm. they, they did an exquisite job of, of balancing all those characters, or the vast majority of those characters, as best as anyone mm-hmm. possibly could. So Marvel, yep. as, a, as a brand, as an entity, know how mm-hmm. to juggle multiple characters doing multiple shit at the same time yes. in a way that's pleasing. The flip side of that coin is the director is a guy, is not the Rooster Brothers, it's John Watts, who did mm-hmm. direct Homecoming, which I think you were a bit tepid about, right? No, I liked Homecoming. Okay. A few people were mm-hmm. a bit tepid about it. I thought it was pretty good. So that's in his side. Other than that, he's done virtually nothing of note. I mean, the the thing that kind of got him really noticed, I think, was uh, what was it? Um, yeah, he did a cop car with Kevin Bacon that got a little bit of kind of indie buzz. But can I just can I find a scene with Kevin Bacon next week on the show? I'm going to be talking about 
a, 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 t- a series, a Kev- TV series that Kevin Bacon did a couple of years ago called I Love Dick. Um, I was hoping to talk about I don't think we've got time for it this week. So the people out there who are looking forward to hearing us talk about I Love Dick. Um, uh, sorry, we have to wait till next week. Um, <laughs> but next week, Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. I Love Dick. It is a TV show. It's on Amazon Prime. If you want to take a look. But sorry, yes. Um, it's I quickly thought of that. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. You're right. Like I, I have reasonable faith that you know, mm-hmm. that I mean, considering this guy, considering what you heard about Kate Shortland and doing Black Widow, you don't direct a film by yourself when it's Marvel. Mm. It's you true. Know, it is directed by Kevin Feige. Has I suspect. Mm-hmm fairly significant hand on the shoulder of, of most of the people directing these films yeah. and love him or hate him he's got a pretty good track record and they've proven themselves pretty handy doing this kind of thing so but my goodness Absolutely. when Doc Ock comes up on his hello Peter and you're like oh yeah See, now okay. that was one line that confused me and I don't know whether it's an indication of editing because why would Doc Ock know that Tom Holland is Peter Parker? I think it's sneaky editing. And what I've read on the internet, yeah. which is just, you know, speculation, of course, speculation mm. is they've just edited that cleverly mm-hmm. um, to be basically talking to Toby Maguire's Peter. I agree. I agree. Or he just mm. seen a guy in a Spider-Man outfit and made a logical assumption. Yeah, that's that's true. That is also true. And his, um, as the 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 trailer announces, and it happened in Far From Home, the world knows who Spider Man is. Mm-hmm. Um, What's, anyway, what I uh, what I can't help but get, I can't get over is the fact that the Spider Man movies are named in reverse. No Way Home, Far From Home, Homecoming. That's. Now that's kind of the journey that he should have, <laughs> but they've just flipped it. Um, I'm sure it was on somebody's whiteboard at the start. Wouldn't this be cool? <laughs> uh, you gotta wonder. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if somebody hmm. at at Marvel saw Into the Spider Verse and thought, "Oh fuck, I wish we'd done that." I would not be surprised. Honestly, I really would not. I think that that did a lot to shake up the Spider-Man movie paradigm, I think. And what can we get away with? I mean, Spider-Ham, for fuck's sake, and all of the different types. And the way that it um, it kind of introduced these alternative Spider-Mans as well and how they it got them together, that gives me hope for this movie because they've kind of already had a dry run at this. So they... Surely they can't fuck it up too much. That was Sony, though. It's true. It's true. They ha- do seem to have a bit of a problem of getting the the ancillary Spider-Man movies out, like Venom, uh, Here Comes the Carnage, or whatever it's called, has been delayed again. And Mobius, the Jaguar one, is next I'm year as well. That, I think. I'm assuming that's mainly though due to the unknown virus of unspecified origin you know yeah i wonder if the delays and things like that are part of this new rumor that is coming around that disney want to buy sony pictures yeah goodness me i i actually kind of hope that as much as it 
be kind of cool to see Venom in the MCU and all that kind of bizzo. Mm. I just really don't want that to happen. Like that, that that's just too much. It's not just stranglehold on Hollywood to Disney. Yeah. It's that's a, yeah, it's a bit mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Not nope. a bit much. No, that. I mean, that's I've heard good. the figure. I've heard the figure quoted that Disney Sony want ten billion dollars for a Spider-Man property. I just read that somewhere. Do not ask me to cite a source. Mm-hmm. Can't remember where I read it, yeah. but you know, take it for what it's worth. I wouldn't be surprised, but um, fuck. <laughs> but yeah. mm-hmm. considering mm-hmm. his. You know, like video games, uh, movies. Well, that's the thing is, does it include the games division? Sure or is not. it just Sony Pictures? You'd have to, well, I mean, if you're buying Sony Pictures, maybe, maybe not. But if mm. you're buying the IP of Spider-Man back, you'd expect that would include the video game characteristics. You'd think so. But, uh, it's, it's an interesting time. I am looking forward to No Way Home. I think it's great. I love Alfred Molina. I think he was fantastic as Doc Ock, and to have him back in any capacity is always welcome in my book. Tom Holland remains a good quality actor. Uh, Zendaya, she is proving herself to be um, a very capable actress. I'm really looking forward to seeing her in Dune. Um, Everyone involved has a good track record now of delivering the goods and knowing how to deliver a good quality Spider-Man movie, and they've got I think it goes without saying they have got a lot of um, support from Disney MCU people to actually bring this across the line because it is so, so heavily involved, more than any other Spider-Man to this point. Fuck, this one is tied to all of the narratives. Everything from Loki everything from Doctor Strange, all of that stuff, it is all about the multiverse and the multiverse collapsing and things like that. So they've got to get this right or else it makes the other movies stop. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot of responsibility on on the shoulders of the guys who are doing this film. Yeah. But anyway, shall we we move on from from our weekly Marvel blurb? And and, um, yeah, um, what have you, what has been on your agenda this week? Well, I think we should, because um, we both um, sampled something together. Mm. Heels. Yes, I was. Um, I watched the first episode last week, um, and mm. it's coming out week by week, which everything's doing mm. now, which is a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the. This is available in Australia on Stan. Um, yes, I think it's Stars in the United States. I don't yes, know the cable right. channel. Um, two mm-hmm. brothers and rivals, one a villain or heel in the ring, the other a hero or face, war over their late father's wrestling promotion, vying for national attention in small town Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. This stars Stephen Amell, uh, mm-hmm. who probably best known for Arrow. Um, yes. The uh, one and only decent um, uh, CW superhero show that was any good. The Flash was good for at least the first three seasons. No, sorry. It was trash. I watched one or two episodes. I just couldn't get part. So I couldn't get however how cheap it looked. Um, but uh, initially, we also have Alexander Ludwig. So he plays Jack Spade. Uh, and we have mm-hmm. Alexander Ludwig playing his brother, Ace Spade. Alexander Ludwig, mm-hmm. um, people who are fans of Vikings might be familiar with. He was 
in mm -hmm. that show for a while. Uh, and I'm yep. easy played Bjorn on that show. I've not seen it. Um, in addition, we have, uh, where are we here? Melissa, Mary McCormick, sorry. Mary McCormick is a familiar face as Willie, who works at the promotion. Mary mm -hmm. McCormick is a face, just one of those faces you'd be like, mm. she's been in stuff. I saw her yeah. show on Broadway once, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, so those are probably your, your, your big names here. I, you, there might be someone in here who is in Game of Thrones for six seconds or something that I, is super famous and I've never heard of, and that's why people are excited. But um, as it notes, it's set in a wrestling promotion, small-town wrestling promotion in mm -hmm. Georgia. Uh, mm -hmm. Jack uh, is the owner of he, he has inherited from there from he and Ace's father, and he mm -hmm. is the, the lead bad guy or heel in the federation or the mm -hmm. promotion. And Ace is their number one good guy or babyface. Yes, and um, they uh, they in the, in the midst of their very high profile and popular feud, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and. It's sort of at the same time, there's a bunch of other stuff sort of floating around, family stuff floating around. Ace is being um, scouted to potentially join a larger wrestling, national wrestling promotion. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Jack has ongoing problems with his wife, Stacey, played by Alison Luff. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, at the same time, we've got a whole bunch of other wrestlers in there, all part of a promotion as well, mm -hmm. all looking for their five seconds of fame. Um, yeah. My initial concern of this is that Hollywood and, you know, for one of a better term, TV has kind of done wrestling kind of dirty a lot, like a mm -hmm. lot. If any of you have ever heard of Ready to Rumble, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're not heard about Ready to Rumble, please do look it up. The next time George forgets to do his notes properly, that might be the film I ask him to watch. You never know. Um, it's in that category, the Mannequin 2 on the move level of crapulence is how bad that film is. But... Um, Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, no, no holds barred with Hulk Hogan and Tiny Lister back in the 90s. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. There are a lot of bad wrestling TV. More, I would mm -hmm. say the only decent TV show that I could remember of recently was Glow, um, which was really, yeah. really, really good. Like, if you haven't seen Glow, just mm -hmm. jump on Netflix and watch it. It's great. And my initial worry is, oh, mm -hmm. this is just going to be a male version of Glow. You know, um, the difference with gender swap thing here is like, Blow was really good. That was successful. We'll just make it with dudes. Um, <laughs> yeah, to a lesser extent, you know, not necessarily the, the gorgeous men of wrestling, but that will be interesting. Um, um, but I thought, but I was, and like, I, I thought it was going to pander a little bit to its audience, right? Like, it was going to pander to an mm. audience that didn't know anything about wrestling. And it does that to it. Mm. it I wouldn't say it panders, it's just it does need to explain. When some of the stuff, some of the nature of professional wrestling to its audience um, who maybe aren't familiar with it. Um, and I think it does it in a way that's pretty effective and it doesn't, didn't make me feel like I was being pandered to. Yeah, I feel like the, because I've only watched the first episode so far and I feel like what the show is kind of missing is um, a gateway character because we are instantly thrown in and we're following these two brothers and they they have like subtle sly conversations with other people that kind of represent the people um the audience who might not know 
the terminology of the wrestling world and how the wrestling world works, like um, kayfabe and heels and things like that. And they, they get a little bit explained by that. If there was someone that we could connect to to kind of learn all of this stuff from, I feel like it would make make it a little easier and more palatable for people who don't necessarily know about the wrestling world. I didn't feel that at all. Um, I, I felt like it treated its audience like intelligent adults. Um, and in a, in a sense that like, I think they had to walk up. Well, I mean, they probably had to walk. I would call it a fine line, Like they probably didn't want to um, alienate mm. people who were wrestling fans, which, you know, there are a lot of in the United States in particular. So they get the vast majority mm. of it. still, a couple million a week every week, a couple million people a week watch yeah. AEW um, or, or WWE. Yeah. Um, so that's a decent chunk of your audience who have a fair idea of what wrestling is. And even if they're not a smart mark, who knows what all the, the terminology and stuff is. But but and then again, a caveat here, I'm well-versed in the, um, you know, the, the intricacies of, you know, I'm not a professional wrestler, but I followed it since I was a kid. Uh, George and I went to our, we are so lucky we got to go to our first wrestling show this year because fuck knows when there's going to be another one um there was it was supposed yeah. to be another one in about two and a half weeks but i am not holding my breath um yeah. so yeah uh, but at the same time i didn't feel like I, I was i i quickly was sucked into the story of the two brothers and i feel mm. like while the wrestling show is about wrestlers it's not about wrestling um a, a wrestling mm. promotion is really just the setup or the setting for a story about family mm. and these brothers and their relationship mm. and their relationships with their yes. various loved ones Absolutely. and that sort of thing, which is yeah, probably what you should have expected. Um, and the wrestling angle on it is just a slightly different, more interesting um, flavor mm. of, of story about a family. Mm. Um, and I guess like I didn't, mm. I didn't feel what I think. Of... Sorry, please. Sorry, uh, just what what I think to to that point, and and going back to mine is, I think that it would just broaden because broaden the the, the entry point for audiences because I think that it's it wears its kind of serious attitude on its sleeve, and I feel like the particularly the trailers for it are very um, very specific. And I think that if there was that char a character in there, a gateway character, I think it would just open it up to more people because um, I think a lot of people still kind of look at it and just go, oh, really? A, a show about wrestling? No. And it's like, it, there is wrestling. It's, a, it's about wrestling, but it's not about wrestling. There, there's, a lot, there's a lot more nuanced stuff going on here. It's like, it would be like incorrectly talking about The Wire and saying, oh, it's about dock workers. Like, mm, not many people are going to be interested in talking about dock workers. It's like, but it's it's about more than that. <laughs> and I, I feel like they're doing a potentially doing themselves a disservice. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that they um, know what they want to do with the show. It, everything feels very, very intentional. Um, I guess with the degree, I, I didn't feel that way at all. At, for, for, man, I, I, just okay. didn't, I mean, I felt that they were the, the story was brilliant. You, you're probably in, in some ways are right. I don't know what that gateway character would look like. Um, I felt the gateway mm. character is Stephen Amell because he is a bit of a name in that sense. And he might be 
part and Alexander Ludwig, yeah. they might be the you know people who watch Vikings, people who watch um, uh, Arrow, might be tempted to come in and watch it because they're familiar. They think Stephen Amell's hot and he's probably going to take his shirt off. You know, Alexander Ludwig definitely does take his shirt off, ladies. You know, um, mm-hmm. I feel that that might be more your gateway because um, I, I don't think it's a bit like a time travel movie, right? You don't want to spend too long explaining it; otherwise, it'll confuse the fuck out of people. And you, you don't That's want true. to probably That's you true. probably don't want too much exposition going. Well, when I say kayfabe, what I mean is blah. When you know, you're going to alienate the people mm-hmm. who do know what wrestling is in the audience. But um, I was like I said, I went in very skeptical because. I'd never even heard of it. I hadn't seen any of the trailers. I just thought, man, show about wrestling. Mm. That'll be interesting. I'll check it out. And I really, really enjoyed mm. episode one. I enjoyed episode two very much as well. Um, I, okay. I feel like I never really liked Arrow very much. I kind of thought Stephen Amell didn't, wasn't really much of an actor. Uh, um, I thought he was kind of a bit of a... He doesn't really emote. A bit of an eye candy. Um, that kind of works for a professional wrestler. If they were good actors, they wouldn't be professional wrestlers, probably. Um, most of them. Um, <laughs> so, so um, it's it's. I, I'm really digging it. I'm enjoying it. So, if you are a wrestling fan, I don't think you're going to feel um, talked down to. I feel like they're treating it with real mm. reverence, right. like the actual the um mm-hmm. the, uh, the the actual wrestling stuff. They're not treating it like a joke. Or uh, you know something like that. Great. They have respect for their subject matter here, being you know professional wrestlers and wrestling. Mm. It feels contemporary. Um, mm-hmm. The actual the, the in ring work seems really nice. So actually, that's pretty good as well. So these guys have put some. I don't know about the supporting cast, but Stephen Amell and Allison a little bit are not professional wrestlers. So Stephen Amell, I believe, did do uh, did work a match for a WWE uh, a number of years ago, but as a celebrity, he had yeah. a bit of a. Um, he had a bit of a uh, a feud with, I think it was actually um, Cody Rhodes, who is now one of the big head honchos of AEW. And I wonder if a lot of the genesis of this project came from that, because Cody Rhodes very much, he is, always, he is a consummate professional and he is someone who understands the cinematic desire for professional wrestling and him working with an actor who like him or not as a, as an actor, he put in the effort to learn how to do the kind of like the fishbone thing where he's kind of like free lifting himself up and all of that stuff. He put the physical effort into it and having someone like that in a role like this, where it is very physically taxing as well. I think that is a marriage of good, good intentions at the very least. Stephen Amell actually broke his back doing one of the stunts in the first episode. Um, so um, I think it goes, I mean, like if there's a yellow argument, oh, isn't it fake? It's pre- it's scripted that it, it's not fake. Um, so, you know, mm. these are real moves. They're really jumping off things and falling down and taking bumps. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it, the, the bumps they take look good. I mean, it's, you know, it's not. Yeah, you know, it's not um, it's not um, Rick Flair versus Ricky Steamboat good, but like it's the bumps look good enough. You know, they look like a, they look very convincingly like um, you know, mm. uh, semi-professional wrestlers in a rural promotion, as good as the kind of stuff yeah. you probably see here in Melbourne. You know, mm. by guys who aren't on television every day of the week. So, I mean, that's an important part of this. Like, I mean, so if you like wrestling, they're not talking down here; they're respecting their subject matter. They work well in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty decent. Now, if you don't like professional wrestling, 
should remember, the good thing for you is it's not really about professional wrestling. There is wrestling mm. in it. They are wrestlers, but it's about more than that. Um, there is a really interesting story building here about uh, family and these two brothers' relationship with each other and, mm-hmm. and the wider world. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for mm. you because I think it's worth checking out. I, I liked it very much. Mm. I think it's it's definitely got me interested to see where it goes. Um, my The one real criticism that I have for the show, just on a personal level, is I do feel like tonally it's very heavy. Very, it very heavy. It, it takes itself Everything very seriously. Feels, yeah. And I kind of think... I get what you're trying to go for, but you're being a little ham-fisted for it. There's... But, you know, the Just to back up what you were saying about Cody Rhodes, the, ep- the title of episode two is Dusty mm-hmm. Finish. Um, <laughs> so those who aren't, aren't, aren't aware, Cody Rhodes uh, is the second generation, is the son of one of the most famous and successful professional wrestlers of all time, Dusty Rhodes. Um, not mm-hmm. only was he an actual professional wrestler, he was also a behind-the-scenes guy who used to mm-hmm. uh, what they call book matches, which is basically to you know write the storylines and yeah. you know, you're going to win tonight over this guy in this particular way. And so mm-hmm. uh, he was extremely famous for it and extremely influential at doing it. And one of mm-hmm. his most famous creations is something called a dusty finish. So look, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, I'm sure you can Google and they'll tell you what it is. <laughs> but that's a that's yeah. a very known wink at Cody Rhodes' dad. Absolutely, yes. No, I, 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 I really enjoyed it. I do do like how it's building. I just hope that they have confidence going forwards that they can allow a little bit of breath into the show. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's an eight-episode run, so hopefully it won't mm. overstay its welcome. I, I'm going to be following it throughout, so I'll keep everyone up to date. Mm. Cool. As we go through it, do you, think, do you think you'll watch another episode or two? I'm definitely going to watch at least one more, for sure. Um, I like Stephen Amill. I like his work ethic for sure. Um, I still think he has a lot to prove to be a good actor, but he always seems to put himself into into his roles. I think he's just got to find something that really matches. And um, the way that he he did a lot of training for his feud with Cody Rhodes, and I think that speaks to a personal passion for him. I think this is very much a passion project for him. Um, so I want to support that. I want to see see how he goes. Sorry? I was just going to say, do you mind if I talk about my new show? I was show? just about to invite you to talk about your new mm-hmm. show. So my new show is another Netflix show. It is Brand New Cherry Flavor. What an odd name for a TV show. And it's an odd show. It The best way you can describe it is a lot of people online have been describing it as um, David Lynchian and Twin Peaksy. And I definitely get where they're going for with that. But at the same time, it's got more of a a twisted horror kind of element to it. Um, for for those not in the know, Lisa Nova, an aspiring film director in this sun-drenched but steamy world of 1990s Los Angeles, embarks on a mind-altering journey of supernatural revenge that gets nightmarishly out of control. That is a very cursory um, example of what this show is. 
uh, just got to quickly make a note of the time there. Time codes are important, folks. See, so it's got some interesting cast here. We have um, Catherine Keener popping up in this. It's always good to see Catherine Keener uh, mm -hmm. out and doing things. Of course, an Academy Award winner. Yes, uh, Catherine Keener, of course, for our uh, sorry, no, she was not. Oh, she was nominated for an Oscar for being John Malkovich. Um, yes, which of course was directed by Spike Jones. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, Rosa Salazar in the uh, the main role as Lisa, mm -hmm. and yep. uh, probably best known for Alita Battle Angel. Yes, and um, it's got a few other um, kind of faces that you'll look at and go, I think I remember them from something, but no one particularly big. Like, um, the other main character is um, played by Eric Large, uh, Lange, who plays the character of Lou. He was in, uh, he's been in Narcos, he was in Lost. Um, he's popped in and out, so you might kind of look at him and go, I kind of remember him, but he's lost behind this long hair, long gray hair, kind of similar to mine, but with this beard as well. And he's quite transformative in the role. Um, this is a really unique show because it starts, it does definitely start off very David Lynch, um, very, very Twin Peaksy. Um, Rosa Salazar's character, Lisa, is, she finally comes to LA. Um, you find out that this has been a thing because she meets up, she stays with a friend called Coda, uh, uh, Code, sorry. And she is in town trying to push her short film called um, Lucy's Eye, which is like a horror movie. And you never, throughout the first couple of episodes, you see little little bits of it. And it looks like a very typical student film. It's black and white. It's a woman in a house. There's people coming to the thing. But you see more of the reactions of it. And I remember we, I got you to watch maybe maybe back when we were still doing a GNT podcast, uh, one of the um, Masters of Horror show. Oh, and there was one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, don't, I remember the title. I remember watching it, but I can't remember what it was about. Yeah. But there was a little element of that where you never see the movie in Cigarette Burns that is so um, horrifying and life-changing, but it's a similar kind of feel to that. Um, you see these people and there's always the ending. Everyone's always talking about the ending. It's like, how did she film that? I don't know. You never know what it was she filmed and you never see it up until the second half of the show. I'm only about two thirds of the way through. Um, but he, she um, somehow, the character of Lou, who's um, a bit of a washed up producer, finds this tape and watches it and has a meeting with her and um, offers to um, to produce it and get her to be director because she only wants to sell it if she can direct it. And then over the first two episodes, it's about basically about the, the two of them kind of him teaching her how to sell herself to other producers to get funding if she wants to be the, uh, the director she has to know how to sell herself and she has difficulty with that. And then unsurprisingly, he stabs her in the back and goes around and grabs a music video director who is friends with her to, to direct it and kind of just throws her out in her ass. So it, she meets 
at one of these parties, she meets Catherine Keeler's character, um, Boro. Uh, and she just kind of says, oh, you know, I can, I can hurt people for you if you need me to. And so one, one night after finding out that her movie has effectively been stolen from her, she tracks down Boro and says, yep, I want to, to set his world on fire. I want him to suffer. And this brings in the supernatural element. And it's kind of a little bit voodoo, dark magic-y sort of stuff. And it slowly but surely spirals from there. And Catherine Keeler is fucking amazing in this role. She is just so casual with everything. Like, it, I'm sure that there's a lot of this inspired by peyotes and just how that can kind of bring so much of yourself to the surface and all of the, the stuff that peyotes is legendarily known for um and each episode this kind of it just keeps on getting more and more twisted the whole thing and it's it seems really like um the character of lisa is very very um very selfish actually in the way that she expects everything and she she's harsh and kind kind of cruel in many ways. She's cold, um, and this revenge, this mystical revenge that um, Boro has promised, it starts off with um, Lou getting the hiccups, and Lisa sees this and she just goes back to him and says, like, "What the fuck is this? He's got the fucking hiccups." My life is going to shit. He's being projected these amazing numbers and projection and positivity and everything. Why is his life getting good and my life getting bad? So she just keeps on upping the ante all the time on this revenge. And she's not even being subtle about it or sly. She is telling everyone. And it just keeps every character just keeps on getting more tightly wound at the same time as being completely undone. And it's really fascinating. I don't know where this is going to end. I don't know how this is going to end. But everything about it is very well done. The production value is fantastic. The performances are really good. And there's the Lynchian level of weird shit. Like, kind of every 24 hours after this curse has been put into effect, Lisa throws up a newborn kitten and someone who works for Catherine Keeler just turns up, takes the kitten. And at one point she asks, what do you do with these kittens? And she went, Oh, you don't care. You won't miss them. You don't care. <laughs> and it's like, what? Um, okay. It's a complete mind. Fuck is really good. <laughs> uh, this is it. Is this a binge binge show? It was dumped all at once, or is it going week by week? It was dumped all at once. Yes, um, I I don't know if I would recommend binge watching it. I binged the first half of the season, and it is moreish because you want answers to what happens in the previous episode, and you do generally. The story continuously progresses, but you don't get too many answers. But at the same time, you don't necessarily feel like. Oh, for fuck's sake, just tell me something because it just keeps on twisting and turning and getting more and more fucked up. There's a point in the in the first half of the series where Lisa says to Boro, 
I don't want to keep throwing up kittens. And Boro just, as she's leaving, she's like, okay, no more throwing up kittens. And the way she says it, the way the story has set it up, you know it's going to be something fucking worse. And what happens? I can guarantee it has never been put on film before. And everything that happens afterwards is weird as fuck. <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, the parable of a monkey's paw, right? It seems to be going along those lines, but not quite. But uh, it's a bit that you know, that, that um, the episode of The Simpsons, you know, like um, I must tell you, but it carries a terrible curse. That's bad. <laughs> but it but can't be frozen. Frozen. That's good. <laughs> you get to the toppings. That's good. That toppings contain potassium benzoate. That's bad. That's that kind of angle, right? Like you, you might get one thing, you're giving you, you're taking, right? Or there's a Rick and Morty episode about the same thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of that, um, but it's more nebulous, and I think it's going to end up being more of a parable of patience is a virtue. So my prognosis for Lisa is not looking good. I think. I don't think there's going to be a season two carrying on with Lisa. I do not think she's going to survive. That is just me guessing because I don't know. My superpower is not working right now and I'm enjoying it for that. And if a show can do that, I'm willing to see to the end because they've done something that does not happen often. <laughs> like that part in Superman 2 where Superman has his powers taken away and he gets beaten up at the truck stop. Yes. Yes, I feel feel like my brain is being beaten up. <laughs> you are mortal again. I know it's weird. It's a really weird sensation, but I am enjoying it. That's that's the the main point of it. Absolutely, that's the part probably the most important. And just again, it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's on so Netflix, and I I will say that the the way that it delivers story. You'll get a taste of it in the first episode, but you need to watch two episodes before you'll be able to render a verdict of if you want to invest more time. So it is a bit of a time sink. I think each episode is about 45 minutes long, maybe 50 minutes. So it is a bit of an investment just to really get a good grounding of will I want to watch this or not. If you've watched stuff and enjoyed stuff like American Horror Story or Twin Peaks or any of that kind of more twisted kind of thing, you'll probably enjoy this. But if you want a more traditional narrative storytelling, this is not the show for you. And it is kind of gross. Yeah. It does not pass <laughs> a Shea test. Yes and no. It's not It's not violent. I mean, in there, there is a little bit of violence in it, but it's not gory violence. It's not lots of blood but it's creepy. So mm, maybe borderline. Yeah. yeah. Beware. Take, enter at your own risk. Yeah, very much so. Now, what would you like to talk about? The last thing I've got tonight is um, a new series is airing here in Australia on Amazon prime, nine mm-hmm. perfect strangers. Okay. Uh, now in the States, I believe it's airing on Hulu. Uh-huh. Um, it's weird how Hulu stuff sometimes ends up all over the shop here. I was looking at something earlier from Hulu, but it's going yeah. 
So I guess it's just whoever buys it. Um, nine stressed city dwellers visit a boutique mm-hmm. health and wellness resort that promises healing and transformation. The resource director is a woman on a mission to reinvigorate their tired minds and bodies. Okay. Uh, created by, uh, amongst other people, David E. Kelly, a fairly familiar name for some people out there. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, he was the man behind NYPD Blue um, back in back in the 90s. Um, uh, yeah, LA, LA Law, The Practice, Alamy Beal. Sorry, not, not NYPD Blue. I'm just talking about that. But um, LA Law was the one I was thinking of. Um, Boston Legal. Yeah. Boston Public, um, Big Little Lies, which has been very popular. Chicago Hope, Picket Fences, Doogie Howser, the guy's a TV legend. Uh, and I believe it's based on the same writer's material, author, who wrote, is this based on a book? I believe it's based on the, that, that author also wrote the book for Big Little Lies, which based on. Okay. I know Nicole Kidman was in Big Little Lies mm. as well. And, of course, she is the star of this show as well. Never saw mm. Big Little Lies, so I can't comment on its quality. Um, mm. We have one hell of a cast for a TV show here. Like, this is AAA quality casting here. So we have, mm. I said, Nicole Kidman is Marsha, who is the Russian, uh, you know, a wunderkind who runs this, you know, wellness resort. Not hmm. sure I really buy into Nicole's Russian accent, but it's good enough, and it's Nicole Kidman, so you're usually distracted enough. She'll have practice with us, Um We have Melissa McCarthy, uh, the exquisite Michael Shannon. I don't think Michael Shannon gets enough credit. He is a fucking great actor who was so far mm-hmm. and away the best thing about The Man of Steel. It's not funny. He was a great Zod. Great Zod. Um, that was good. Luke Evans, um, who's be one of those guys whose faces you'd be like, hey, you're that dude. He's been in stuff, um, uh, including Fast and Furious. He played 6. Dracula, and he was also in the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, uh, Asha Keddy, who is a very well-known Australian actress, um, who anyone, if you're in Australia, you know her from stuff like Offspring, Love My Way, Paper Giants. If you're not a strain, you'll have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Samara Weaving, uh, again, an Australian actress. So you probably, non-Australians may recognize that she has done a little bit of work outside the country in mm-hmm. you know, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music she was in mm-hmm. uh, last year. So mm-hmm. um, you might recognize her from that. That was one I recognized her from. Um, and a link between our two topics. How exciting. Yes. Uh, Manny Jacito plays Yao in this, and he's also in Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, mm-hmm. But probably for me, the best place I knew him from was he was in The Good Place. Um, as, as of course he was. That's yeah. where I knew him from. Um, the other big name in here is, um, but you, you're definitely going to recognize is Bobby Cannavale on pronouncing Cannavale, Cannavale. Um, he was in Ant-Man, uh, Blue Jasmine, The Station Egg, and he's just, again, Mr. Robot. He's been, he'll be, he'll be one of those people who be, oh, yeah, you definitely know his face. Um, mm-hmm. So amazing talent. The most hilarious start to the show is that they're all driving to his resort. This wellness resort, right. and more than one or two of them. One of them goes past a sign and says, "Such and such California, welcome to such and such California," and you're like, "Really?" 
There's no fucking way that's California. That is Australia. I don't even need anybody to tell me this was made in Australia. In the first 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, that was filmed in Australia. That's not that's not California. That's Australia, right? It's like it's, I always go back to the um the uh, when I first saw Ghost Rider, the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider film, and he's driving down the freeway in Texas, and you're like, that's not Texas, that's a Yu Yangs. I know where that is, I know exactly where that is. You know, they shot that here in Melbourne, of course, and um, that's probably the only good part about it. Um, and you know, it, it, I guess it's probably. I mean, you would be you obviously are familiar with this from your time living in the UK. But very, mm. generally, I guess the difference is that if you shoot a film in the UK in London on its location, you're not pretending it's somewhere else. Yeah. Australia, definitely. Australia and Canada, they are the stand-in countries. You film there for anywhere else in the world, apparently. Except, and, and maybe Americans would just see it. I'm like, oh, okay. But, oh, okay. I'm like, no, straight away. I'm like, that's not California. That is Australia. Um, and, and yes, I was correct. <laughs> this was shot, actually meant to be shot in California. That production was transferred here last year due to the um, unknown virus of unspecified origin that, um, you know, kind of shut things down in the States. And, you know, I think we all knew Melissa McCarthy was here last year, but she did a bit in um new Thor movie. Um, and Oh, yes, that's right. And she was obviously out here for this. Now, I wonder if people like Asha Ketty were supposed to be in this or they just had hmm. to pick up some local talent to get production that you know Maybe. cheaper or something but i don't know she doesn't work much in the u.s but she's very well known here so um mm. you're talking huge huge talent huge cast in mm. the show uh very well-known faces and we see them all sort of making their way uh to this wellness resort we all start to learn a little bit about their different stories so melissa mccarthy is mm. a former successful novelist who's uh fallen on slightly harder times her latest her latest novel has been rejected by her publisher it's getting bad reviews okay. she's kind of her life falling in a heap um michael shannon and asha Ketty are there with their daughter um uh, played by grace van patten mm-hmm. and they um they are a lower class they are a more working class couple but they are they're basically still recovering from the death of their 17 year old son recently who is uh their, their daughter zoe's um twin brother uh, who committed suicide, and so okay. they're still a very much a family in 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 mourning for that. But um, mm-hmm. we have uh, Samara Weaving and her partner Ben, played by Melvin Gregg. Sorry, Melvin, I don't know your previous work. You're not as famous as the other people. Um, but uh, they um, they are, I guess, she's an Instagram influencer type person, and he is a nouveau riche, if you will, Ben won the lottery. Um, and okay. their their relationship is is under you know serious strain. Um, we have Luke hmm. Evans, who's I'm not quite sure what he's doing. He's he's a gender is, but he has an agenda. He's like he's there to expose them or something. We're not quite sure. And um, Bobby Cannavale is a formerly famous football player with now a drug addiction. So okay. um, through the episode, we start to learn that Marsha um, Nicole Kidman's character has offered uh, Michael Shandon and Asha Ketty uh, the Marconis. Marconi family a significant discount to be able to let them afford to come and we also learn that she specifically curates the groups of people who will attend her spa uh in order to meet whatever mysterious goal she has because we quickly very much learn okay. because it's not your attending you know yoga classes and you know uh hydrotherapy and you know um aromatherapy classes in between you know 
uh, movie nights kind of it's not your it's not your mama's uh, health resort. There's something something enigmatic about Marsha, and there's something very mysterious going on at her at her health resort where we're not quite sure what her agenda is or exactly mm. what's going on with her. Mm. It's, it's, all we know is it's not what you it's not what the people going there expected, and it's not what we expected. And the show itself is a bit of a mystery. Is it a is it a critique or a piss take on the wellness industry? Is it a whodunit? Is it a mystery? Is it lost? Is this where the people on the island start came from? You know, like, um, don't know. Um, but that's part <laughs> of the fun of it is it's kind of, for, for me anyway, it's keeping me guessing about what exactly is going on. And it's not all, you know, Marsha is the puppet master pulling strings. She's got shit going on in her life as well that we don't fully understand yet that we're getting hinted at and we're like, okay, okay, what's going on there? So she's not like this all powerful, all knowing, you know, person pulling the strings of everything. There's stuff that she's not aware of either. She's got her own struggles, which we're curious to find out about. So um, it's, okay. look, we have four episodes in as of today. I think the uh -huh. fourth episode just aired in the States today. Um, the first three episodes were landed on Prime last week. So I assume the fourth one's probably up now. Um, uh -huh. I think it's going week to week now. I think it's a, an eight-part series. So it's a okay. short-run series. Um, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I was really not sure this would be for me. Um, uh -huh. This is not the kind of thing I would normally enjoy. But I'm enjoying the, the quality of the writing the acting and a little bit like you, if you, 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 um, brand new cherry flavor of a very different style of show, a different content. Hmm. Um, but there's just something you just want to keep watching going. I, I want to find out what's going on. I want to know what's happening here. No, not gross or anything like cherry flavor, but like, I, I want to find out what Marsha's game is. Why the fuck did she pick all these people here? I mean, indeed, I haven't even mentioned the most intriguing character um uh, of the show is uh, another one of the um not one of the better known um actors played by carmel played by regina hall actually i think i have heard of her before i don't exactly i've heard guys? of regina hall she was in scary movie um i don't know why i know her but she more abiding citizens okay I'm not sure but she plays an actor hmm. a character called carmel and she's kind of his passive aggressive repressed housewife type character kind of um but that but we start to see more of her come out of her shell a little bit as the show's gone on you're like actually i think her story she might be the most interesting character in the show like i want to see what she does um okay what we've been hinted at so far because she's abs i guess that's a part of it almost so many people in this show are not what they seem um which is yeah okay. a bit of a type a bit of a tired trope i'll pay but it's enough to keep me interested in watching at the moment when it's done well, it's not a trope. It's a tool. And the things are tropes because they, you know, they work, right? Like people, yeah. you know, do them <laughs> because they, they, people enjoy them. Or they, they, in, you know, they keep working. It's why they, they what do they say? So there's only seven different stories in the world or something like that. Um, and all about true. Jesus. They are about Jesus. Everything's about <laughs> Jesus. And in this case, Jesus is Melissa McCarthy's husband, Ben Falcone. Because he's in the show as well. All right. Well, there you go. It's a full show this week. I'd say regular it's a full show. show. Two hours, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Um, we do hope you enjoy it, and we do want to hear from you. So don't forget, you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain to join in the chat, the moderated chat live um, every Wednesday at 7.30. Um, we can be found again on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, just search for Armchair Producers and you'll be able to find us. We are on Twitter at the Fried Brain at Evil Trav. Um, if you have got any recommendations for a movie that I could torture my co-host with, I will happily hear from you. You need a reason to do that. I, I, this was not done without without cause. Like, <clears> without I cause. can make up a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard because you're practically perfect in every way, Miss Mary Boppins. Well, I have staff. <laughs> yeah, he has a team. I have a dog have a <laughs> that I'm the team member of. And well, then wow. I will. I will have to keep my nose clean then to avoid uh, an unfortunate fate. Yes. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be uh, going on to the discovery on Netflix for our chain movie. We talked about her. I talked about Mannequin on the Move. Um, we caught up on uh, What If. Spider-Man no, uh, no Way Home trailer, Heels, brand new cherry flavor, and finished up with Nine Perfect Strangers. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night.